Welcome to the Tag Ray Podcast, everybody. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. And uh, we've got another great show, another great opportunity um, to come together and uh, discuss things. And uh, yeah, this is going to be an awesome show again. So yeah, we want to continue um, with the discussion with uh, Dr. Richard House. So if you uh, don't remember from last show... We are going to have an opportunity to talk about uh, presuppositional apologetics with Dr. Richard Ho. So, Dave, you want to give him the information again? Yeah. Um, so, if I am correct on everything, our event is scheduled for Monday, April 27th at 6 p.m., which is when we normally uh, had been doing the live cast for the last uh, probably, what, Almost the last year. Does that sound yeah. about right, Adam? We, yeah. We tried to do the podcast, uh, our normal program at 6 p.m. Uh, every Monday night or every other Monday night. And so what we have scheduled is a dialogue with uh, Dr. Howe and with uh, one of his um, students uh, or colleagues, uh, I guess to, uh, Adam Tucker, who uh, works there at Southern Evangelical Seminary. Um, Dr. Howe and Mr. Tucker approached us about this dialogue. It wasn't something that we were looking for, but uh, really nice compliments uh, were sent uh, from Mr. Tucker to me about the debate that we did with um, with Phil at the start of the year. Uh, just had many good things. We agree completely on inerrancy. We're all in the same uh, boat. Uh, we're all 1978 Chicago statement guys, and so uh, we're apologetics but really the question is what is the better means to defending inerrancy is it presuppositionalism or is it a classical model and so what we did last time as we introduced this is we also um began to kind of work through some statements that dr howe did with um with um scott oliphant and um with uh jason lyle and that dialogue was more on age of the earth stuff. So uh, we actually thought it kind of set up a nice little paradigm by which we were going to be able to evaluate uh, maybe even how Dr. Howe and Mr. Tucker were going to engage in the idea of uh, inerrancy and uh, classical apologetics. So that is exactly where we uh, got going on all that. How's that, Adam? Oh, yeah, that was wonderful. So, yeah, I mean, we... We uh, showed a video last time, and we were starting to comment on it, and we were going to continue um, with that. But, you know, in this uh, sort of discussion, um, if you guys want to go back and look at that, you know, that was sort of under the umbrella of, you know, six-day young earth creationism was the umbrella. The, the idea is you've got the same conclusions drawn, but you've got, like, two avenues um, to that conclusion, which, again, is the problem because we have a starting point and he has a starting point and they're two different starting points and that's kind of like where the conversation lies so that's what's getting missed i think by dr howe um, and we'll continue on that but just to sort of split things up though i wanted to have a little bit of fun and uh sort of split up the since we're you know this is going to be a conversation that we have for the next few weeks um 
I wanted to give something fun, so found a meme. Um, you know, we're in our houses. We are um, on our phones a lot more. People are flying out memes, and I hope that you're utilizing this time that we are socially distanced to up your gospel game on uh, social yeah. media, right? And so, you know, people yeah. are doing that or thinking they're doing that and or whatever. Um, so in that, I found a meme, well, and this one's a, a fun one. That. I, I want to say I've seen a lot of people share sermons from uh, the church share uh, encouraging scripture, seen a lot of scripture. My uh, my Facebook feed is generally covered with folks who are sharing scripture, and, and I really like that. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it's we're inundating. Um, you know, it's 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 been around, but you know, this is a time where you know there's a lot more flying around, um, a lot more frequently anyway. So um, I got a meme anyway, so we can have a little bit of meme theology this morning before we get into the major conversation to have a little bit of fun. But here is a meme. Let's go to the meme studio. All right, we have the meme studio, and up here, um, it's a meme, and just to describe it for the podcast, folks, it's a meme of uh, two guys in front of a door. Um, the guy, the owner of the house is holding a brochure. Um, no, we're not talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. No, we're, ta- we're not talking about Mormons, and we're not talking about any other sorts. We are talking about atheists. So, here's what the <laughs> meme says. It's the guy that's holding the brochure says, um, this pamphlet is blank. And then they say, we're atheists. It's a fun joke. You know, there's another joke that's going around that goes around that I use a lot anyway. It's, uh, you know, atheism is a nonprofit organization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, this meme actually gives too much credence to atheists. Mm. So that's what I wanted to talk about. So, Dave, what is what is, uh, what is your say on this meme? Yeah, yeah. So as, as I approach the meme, uh, number one, uh, there's obviously the joke that atheists don't go door to door, knocking on people's doors, inviting them to believe in nothing. Uh, first of all, that would be a, a real, a real interesting thing. But second of all, uh, I do think that the reality is that while atheists aren't going door to door to propagate their position, there certainly has been a uh, I don't want to say revolution, but there's certainly been a taking over of the uh, systems by which we educate our children, and uh, we not only see that predisposition showing up uh, in every subject in the education system, uh, that is the evangelism mechanism by which atheism spreads. And so uh, that's one of the things that I say. Now, I, I want to follow your argument up on uh, why it's giving them too much credit, so I'm interested to oh. hear what you have to say All on right. that. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, this gives them too much credit. The, why is the pamphlet blank? Why are they? Why is this meme saying that it is the nothing thing? And unfortunately, um, you know, the the problem with atheism and why they don't get it is because they're making a positive claim. So that pamphlet mm, actually should have go. something written in it because it is a positive claim. So, you know, whenever you have the absence of evidence, especially whenever we're during this time of coronavirus, there is, I don't knows. So if you don't know, then you have a faith commitment starting point to tell people to either stay home or remain as normal. Right. Yeah. So you're operating out of ignorance. And so if, you know, so basically they should be, um, this, this meme should actually would fit more in we're agnostics. We don't know who cares, right? Or should I care? Yeah. I don't know. Should I not care? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
And so, you know, the <laughs> atheist should have, well, you know, here's my take. I lack evidence here, here, here. Um, and here's why, you know, you should believe that there is no God. <laughs> and so it is actually atheism is a positive claim that there is no God based on what they believe is a lack of evidence. So it's a positive claim from we can't know. So if you're going to take um, enlightenment philosophy, you can't know, but I'm going to move like this. And here's my argumentation. Yeah, right on. So, but hey, yeah. yes, sir. Awesome. Uh, well, the thing that I'm thinking is, you know, uh, when the atheist comes with nothing in his hands, uh, he really shouldn't be handing him a pamphlet even at all. Uh, because, again, the idea of being able to put forward a positive claim for a uh, for the negative existence of a god, uh, they really shouldn't be even handing a piece of paper to the uh, person at the door. Uh, there you go. Uh, yeah. Again, it demonstrates, uh, I guess, actually, it gives the atheist a little bit more credit, too. I'm going to kind of follow something up uh, with if atheism is true, the ability to read would be very interesting because there is no basis upon which uh, one can uh, one can frame the um, the very idea that history should look like the past yeah. and or excuse me, the future should look like the past. And reading is based upon that very concept that the uh, future should look like the past. And therefore, your ability to be able to read even is uh, foundationally going to fall apart. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> basing, basing the future on the past in the present. Um, that's, there you the, go. that's the major circle of everything. So, you know, they were, you know, were they um, expecting this guy to be able to read if there wasn't? Any, I mean, well, I guess they weren't expecting anybody to read <laughs> the person to read anything, but they could have just written chicken scratches on there. And then yeah. uh, just by chance, just walk up to the right door and uh, the person would be maybe able to decipher chicken scratches just because he was, you know, uh, uh, I guess uh, by chance um, made that way by blind forces. I don't know. We could <laughs> get into the absurd <laughs> argument, but, you know, I just wanted to start off. We, you know, meantime is always fun times. So, you know, it's one of those things that uh, these things, uh, if you think about them, this one isn't a. This is a meme that I'm not going to say is a horrible meme, but this one you should really think about um, just the foundational things whenever you're, you know, whenever you see this meme. But this is this is a fun meme, and that's what I wanted to do, sort of split up the conversation. But I think, um, you know, I think you and me, Dave, we did a good job, and we can move on and get to the meat and potatoes of our conversation today, right? That's right, brother. Let's do it. All right. So anyway, we wanted to uh, continue with our discussion, um, commenting on the video um, of Dr. Richard Howe and his apologetic, his problem with uh, presuppositionalism. If we have enough time today, there's another video that has come out um, kind of explaining the same thing as we are doing our research for, again for the 27th to have that um, conversation with uh, him and Adam Tucker. Um as they are classical apologists and we are presuppositional, actually covenantal apologetic er, apologists. And that's, what's going to come out. Um, Adam, by the way, yes, I'm really glad that uh, we're able to talk uh, and I'm able to listen to the video that you are sharing. Yes, um, that does give on. us some opportunities to, to work remotely in this way. And it's, and it's really cool. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. Anyway, so, so, you know, yeah. if there's, you know, and it's one of those things like in the opening of this show, <laughs> I was, you know, I was ready to go and then bam, 
all the technology just goes through my head and just a bunch of stuff going on. So we appreciate the, the, uh, bearing with us that you guys do, um, listen to the podcast, watching the live cast, getting on the YouTube and stuff like that and bearing with, you know, not everything going to plan. By the way, so, so it was Thursday. We did our very first morning show like this. Uh, this is the first time we've certainly started the week at 8.30 a.m. Hey, well, you know, uh, whenever I am uh, not yeah. essential, yeah. Um, I make myself essential <laughs> <laughs> more in other ways. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, with that said, let's start this. We were at 10.29 in the video, and we shall continue. Model would making the sun stand still cause the day, uh, or in that model, commanding the sun to stand still wouldn't have made the day longer. It would have made the day shorter. If you want to know why, you can ask during the, the Q and A. But here's what it jumped out at me. Given what they say right here, then look at this comment. Supporters often use a hyper literal reading of Joshua 10 to buttress their position of geocentrism. However, it is quite obvious that Joshua was, simp was simply using observational language. My problem is, it was absolutely not quite obvious in the 17th century. In fact, it wasn't even quite obvious in the 18th century. So why did we change from taking that verse literally to mean the sun stood still to be in phenomenological language because we believe the sun is only appears to me? Why did we change? It was because of, quote, outside ideas. Namely, Unfortunately, yeah, it was outside ideas and you can't do that. So what was prevalent? Like, why wasn't it painfully obvious in the yeah. uh, 17th and 18th centuries? About this, you know, where did we go switch? For it, Adam. Yeah. I don't want to take any thunder yeah. from you. Go for well, it. Man. I was just going to say, you know, where did we switch um, the hermeneutic? So uh, apparently, at the very beginning of the hermeneutic was we believed that the sun stood still. Then you get down to the 17th and 18th centuries, and they're questioning, okay, you know, or you have the arguments of um, the either the sun. Um, goes around the earth or the earth goes around the sun you have that but again i think we hit it in the last uh, episode at the very end there this is asking the wrong question of the text for one and so if you start with a false premise you're going to get to a false conclusion go. right and so well, it yeah, is phenomenological language why and how do we know that because it's a narrative and yeah, the and purpose the, of the text the purpose of the text wasn't to make a scientific statement. Yeah. The purpose of the text was to describe what is going on, just like you would in every other story, right? Um, you don't need to go into every scientific detail of it. When Jesus spits on the mud and heals the man's eyes of blindness, right? Again, a miracle has occurred there. Do we need to figure out exactly what Jesus did? Do we actually know? And this is just a, like, is there a logical, rational, uh, naturalistic explanation to what occurred yeah yeah so i mean they're asking the wrong i mean jesus is god yeah. so he could have obviously spit on some type of dirt that was acidic that uh likewise would have burnt uh off any type of uh uh stigmatism on the guy's eyes right like we don't know yeah. those things and so to uh, import an idea that it is a scientific uh, statement is extremely wrong, and that's not what's happening in the in the text. What was being demonstrated was that God was covenantly faithful to His people, and God is sovereign over the entirety of the universe. Not only over who would win in battle, but God is also sovereign over where the where the sun is in the sky, yeah. um, over the natural world. That's yeah. the statement that's being made there, not a scientific decision. And yeah. so when a scientist in the 17th century, uh, in the 18th century, makes some type of uh, declaration about that being a scientific statement, 
that is importing an idea. No, you've got it backwards, I believe, Dr. Howe, to say that, oh, see, we know now that it was phenomenological language. Uh, no, we know that it was a narrative. It was a historical narrative being described from a human position. Yeah, just yeah. like so, all of their stories. So are. basically, they're yeah, in the reason Bible. yeah the reason why they had the problem was because of in the Enlightenment philosophy says I have to start with my reason, and this is exactly the debate between classical and presuppositional right here. Where is your starting point? Where is the Bible yeah. starting point? It's God condescending to man and talking to the, to them through means of special revelation so this is yeah, exactly right where the uh, conversation lies in that instance the mathematics primarily which led the debate but then uh, uh, as the technology got better we could use perhaps parallax arguments or whatever to argue that the, that the earth was actually rotating uh, around the sun so my point is it's absolutely legitimate at least in some instances that's called a dramatic pause by the way i learned that in acting school i didn't take acting school it's, it's totally legitimate, it seems to me, in some instances, to use, quote, outside ideas, in this case astronomy, to help us understand what we think the Bible means. Now, we may not always uh, agree with that, but my, my contention with the method is that, while I don't agree with Hugh Ross's old earth creationism, which I'm sure he lies awake at night worrying. That so, unfortunately here, he says, mathematics, astronomy, and all that stuff, they become ultimate standards to hold over the text. Mm. So then what is the text? Is it God's words exactly. or not? Is it God's words or man's word? Well, and that that becomes the issue. Yeah, did is, Moses? And I love what. Yeah, what, what, did Moses? Did he? Um, w was the is the Pentateuch his his uh, philosophical um, reach out to get to God, or is it God condescending to Moses and telling him the what for of what reality is and what he is doing? Mm -hmm. Which one is it? Okay, but. Whenever you get, again, to Enlightenment philosophy, which comes out of some ideas from Aristotelian and Platonism and all that kind of stuff, you know, because there's a continuum of philosophy that they have to, they, they work with each other, find some problems. I mean, this is just a science experiment, an autonomous science ex experiment of, of just philosophy, what works, what doesn't work, what comports with reality, what doesn't comport with reality, but that all begs the question of, of finite human reason. You know, like when you do that, you're making mathematics the ultimate standard to judge something that's phenomenological or not, but you've already made a false premise to begin with. And so you're studying something false and then you're going, well, it's because mathematics, because of astronomy, we know. No, 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 no. In the text, you already knew. It's just well, your starting point. And here's point. the thing that I think uh, you'll see happen a lot with those who are classical apologetic, uh, apologists in their critique of uh, presuppositionalism, um, they're going to say, but we know, and you know, uh, how I think Artie has talked about this, uh, and if not, he'll, he'll get into it, but he's basically going to say, well, well, we know God has given us a mind and senses because he tells us to, to taste and see the Lord is good. Uh, he's, he tells us to reason with our own minds. Yeah, God does tell us to do those things, but that presupposes, again, uh, the idea that God can speak. Uh, the reality is, how do you know that you're reasoning right? 
How do you know that something is true? It's not because of your ultimate authority in your brain. It's because you have an ultimate authority in God's revelation, which is completely true. And you measure that, your knowledge, you measure your logic, you measure your reasoning against what God has said. And that's where you start. So you either start with yourself or you're starting with God. And you then did say, well, wait, how do you know that you're able to understand God's word rightly? Because God's told us that he'd give us that ability, yeah. right? God's not a liar. And so, again, what is your knowledge of an understanding of, of how God speaks to his people? Well, God doesn't lie. How do you know that? God told us that he doesn't lie, right? God is true. We can see that mm-hmm. in his word, that that is the reality of who he is. And so, uh, the epistemology, again, rooted in revelational, uh, in in. Epistemology rooted in revelation is always going to, uh, in my mind, surpass epistemology rooted within the uh, network of one's brain. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I don't agree with him. So, you know, but whatever. Uh, I don't think he's doing anything in principle any different than what we all do with Joshua chapter 10. We're trying to be as conscientious uh, with the data as we can to help us understand what we think the Bible means. Now, I completely agree that our assumptions can affect the way we interpret the data. I, I agree with that. But, of course, that's not presuppositionalism. To point out assumptions and how assumptions are relevant to, uh, to, to empirical observation is just doing good philosophy. Uh, that doesn't distinguish the presuppositional versus so you the, just said uh, that old, pre- uh, the uh, classical. So you basically just said presuppositionalism isn't the right thing to do. It's just he has a faulty understanding and definition of presuppositionalism. You have to look at presuppositions. And that is yes. presuppositionalism. You you are looking at the network. You're looking at a worldview. You're looking at starting points that are not scientifically proven that we all have. And either they're going to reduce to absurdity. You know, and so the, again, the presuppositionalist, he doesn't understand the approach is, yes, we start with God. And then say we go to the atheist. We get in, you know, we, we don't get in the car and have a conversation with them, but we get in the car and um, show them that their destination is absurdity, and then we bring them back into our car and show them um, that it can only be intelligible um, with God existing in a Trinity, and uh, and and that His revelation is the truth, and how we know That's truth. Right. So you know, so basically, we split something up that He's not splitting up. So He has a conversation, expecting to go to his destination and then we say no no you're only going to end up going where they're going because you're trying to persuade them you're begging them to believe not uh being like what paul is demanding belief because and as paul says that we are ambassadors so we need to act as though we are making that he is making an appeal we are not making a claim down to up god is making a, an appeal through us to the people so that's right you know, whenever I have conversations, I say, I am not making an autonomous claim. I am just repeating the claim of the one who created everything. If you don't understand that, I'm sorry. But that's, you know, to, to understand that, that is to spiritually discern things. And you have to have the spirit in you to be able to go, I get what you're saying. <laughs> you know, so, you yeah, know, you know, if they don't believe, then I can have the peace return back to me, knowing that I was faithful to the scriptures, to the God of scripture and his calling for me to do what I am meant to do and called to do. Model, let me give you quickly two other examples if I have time. How much time do I have, Mr. Moderator? Got six minutes. Okay, let me... Okay, I'm ready. 
Let me give you another example, what I call the Dake Dilemma. Some of you may be familiar with the uh, Dake Annotated Reference Bible. Whenever I go into a Christian bookstore, into which I have not been before, I go to the Bible department of the bookstore to see if they sell this Bible, because it's, her- it's heretical. And but yet I'm alarmed at how many Christian bookstores. Let me give you an example of something that Finnis Jennings Dake says. God has a personal spirit body, shape, form, image, and likeness of man. He has bodily parts, such as back parts, heart, fingers and hands, mouth, lips, tongue, eyes, eyes and eyelids, feet, ears, hair. Hair? Wait, maybe he's okay after all. No. Arms, face, other bodily parts. Now, when I show this to my students and I ask them, besides the obvious of thinking that God has these bodily parts, does something else startle you about this quotation? Now let them think about it a minute until, and then I'll reveal the next. Look how many scripture references he gives. Every one of those verses ascribe those bodily parts to God. So if, I suspect if Dake was here, he would go, look, Hal, you're the guy that has the problem with the text. That's what the text says. The text says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro on the earth. Well, of course, we understand that that's figurative language. My suggestion to you, to you is, whether it's figurative or not, is not an exegetical judgment. That's a philosophical judgment. No. <laughs> it's not an exegetical judgment. It's not it's an exegetical judgment. judgment. And so he goes, he goes on here, and I mean, we can include this. We'll well, end up wait a second. Again, my, my question on that statement, yeah. Adam, and maybe I'm being a little silly. So he's saying that the uh, coming to the conclusion that God does not have eyes and does not have ears and does not have hands, that is something we understand philosophically, yeah. not exegetically. Yeah, we don't uh, arrive to that position through doing sound exegesis. We, run, we come to that conclusion through doing philosophy. Yeah, right, yeah. To do reasoning, right? Yeah. Yeah, let's... Uh, How do you... Be- where do you begin with that reasoning? Sorry, I, I oh, apologize. Yeah. Where do you begin with that reasoning? Yeah, yeah. Let's um, uh, just finish the quote here. Early, oh, Finish sorry. his thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I was going to stop it, but yeah, with, with where you're going anyway, let's finish um, what he says, okay. and then we can attack. Judgment. Okay. We have to have access to reality, the nature of God, in something outside and antecedent to Scripture, to know when the Scriptures are speaking metaphorically in, the, in such instances about the nature of God. So I... Yeah, no, we don't. No, we can actually go in the text to do this, and we'll continue on in his uh, <laughs> what he talks about. But that—that's the problem: is he's making a claim that we are we will show um, differently. Ask a friend of mine at church. I said, "Well, it says in Genesis that Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the cool of the garden. You believe God has legs? Says he's walking. He can't walk without legs." He said, "No, I don't believe he has legs." Well, what do you do with that verse? He said, "I take it as a figure of speech." I said, "How do you know it's a figure of speech?" Well, I know from John four that says God is spirit. Mm. I said, "How do you know that's not the figure of speech?" Maybe God is metaphorically a spirit, and he literally has legs. You just assume he metaphorically has legs, and he literally is a spirit. But I'm suggesting you can't adjudicate that debate merely within the text. It's not- uh, yes, okay, this is the point. <laughs> you can adjudicate yeah. it within the text. And so let me uh, open up this here. So he's talking about uh, John 4.24. So he's saying that um, you, know, you have Jesus having legs, apparently, or God having legs in the garden, yet you know, at the woman at the well, um, Jesus says God is spirit. So which one's figurative, which one is, um, you know, is it figurative, is it literal, which one is it, and how do we know? And he's saying that it's just complete philosophy, it's complete assumption. Well, then he is reduced to stinking absurdity um, within Christianity and cannot make any sort of dogmatic claim. Um, but Jesus makes a stinking dogmatic claim right there. <laughs> God yeah. is spirit, right? And how do we know that? How, how, how do we know that from the text well here's the thing whenever you give somebody half truths you give them full untruths and i think that is j.i packer um that's what he said anyway you partial truth is a whole untruth um 
the fact of the matter is, is if that's all you go in the conversation and if you're talking to somebody that just hasn't studied the text and, and you're going to try to obliterate them, that is horrible, especially if you are brother and sister in Christ talking with each other <laughs> because you're giving them yeah. half truths. And then you're just right. making, you're just forcing the philosophical issue on this whenever you can actually just open up your Bible and you can read the whole John uh, passage. He said, Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain or nor in Jerusalem, something physical. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews, but an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. Again, that is uh, making a distinction between the physical and the immaterial. Yes, the that Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So within the text, we know that God is spirit. That's right. And there's numerous other texts. You know, it's, let's uh, go to, see, there's uh, John, there's Psalm. Let's go to the Old Testament. Um, it says, uh, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways. I think, let me expand this. Yeah. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Well, guess what? He is near to all who call on him. How can he be physical and near to all? There you go. (laughs) So Uh, again, yeah. Uh, very, very well stated uh, when Jesus talks about, uh, oh, Israel, oh, Israel, uh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I'd like to gather you as a hen gathers her uh, chickens underneath her wing. God doesn't have wings. Uh, very real, practical thing. Dr. How would not be unfamiliar with that, again, metaphor. What is the distinction between what's happening in Genesis Chapter 2 uh, and 3, uh, that idea of God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the morning. Uh, and what is being said there in John chapter 4. Where do you start? Where's the starting place? Well, interestingly enough, I would actually go to Genesis chapter 1. It says, and the Spirit of God hovered over the water. Well, wait a second. Let us make man in our own image. I actually think you have a little bit of a Trinitarian issue going on here. Yeah. We recognize also John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen the Father. So then who was that that was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden? Jesus. So by doing a serious exegete, we could recognize that there is an element of Uh, the three persons of God. Jesus says, I and the Father, we are one. Is Jesus saying that he really isn't a physical body? Because if I want to make that type of argument based upon this uh, thinking, I guess I really, really can. If I'm going to go with philosophy first and not with hermeneutics or exegesis first, then I can make that statement. See, Jesus really didn't have a physical body because he says, God is spirit. He says, I and the Father are one. So Jesus just had the form of a, and the picture of a, a spirit. And so what do I do? Well, I become a, a Gnostic, right? Uh, yeah. One of the Gnostics, right? I, uh, and, and, and I can contend for that position. Wait a second. 
what we have there is the reality that Jesus, in a Christophany, was walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the morning. How would I get to that? Well, I would look at John 18. No one has ever seen the Father. Very interesting. One of the best arguments that you can make against Jehovah Witnesses, uh, when you go to John chapter 12, right, and Je Jesus says that uh, Isaiah spoke of me because he saw me, right? Well, mm -hmm. wait a second. When did Isaiah see Jesus? Oh, Isaiah chapter 6, right? Yeah. He saw Yahweh. He saw God. He saw Jesus Christ. Even Hagar. So even Hagar. Yeah, even Hagar said, I have seen God and lived. <laughs> you know? And then we get to the New Testament where Christ, you know, or where it's said that if you don't have the Son, you don't, you know, I and the Father are one. Um, if you don't receive me, then you don't receive the Father. Um, you don't have That's the right. Father. Um, so everything makes sense. And this is all text. This is all exegetical. So don't tell me that uh, it has to be some outside philosophy on this, you know, and even in Acts 17, Paul um, compares the physical um, with the immaterial mm. of the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything because he That's himself right. gives all men life and breath. That is, he is contrasting material and immaterial in the context. He's talking about all these um, God's statues that he got provoked by in the town of Athens. And, um, you know, those, you know, polytheism is just, um, you have super, you basically have superhuman gods is all that is. They're still controlled by time and chance. That's um, right. That, you know, so you have time and chance above them. So there, you know, that's why you can just X out and uh, skip a step, you know, according to Occam's razor or whatever, um, you know, to get rid of polytheism, you know, because it ends That's up right. resulting in the same absurdity and subjectivity and relativity as just a bunch of particulars <laughs> without any universes. Right. Um, so, um, you know, that's the thing is though, but from the text we can, um, you know, it's not just an assumption. It's actually, these are statements. So are you going to read the Bible as God's claim or you, mm. again, are you reading this as men trying to strive to understand God? Um, you know, we're covenantal apologetics or apologists and, you know, yes, God has condescended and spoken or else we could not have any fruition of him. That's as right. The confession says. And so that's the connective tissue here. And so whenever we read this, we actually can do exegetical scripture and scripture study. So this is why we know that God doesn't have hands. Now, Jesus had real hands and real feet. That's right. And a real body, a real body that ended up on does. the cross and dying and being buried and rising again, saying that we will be like him someday. That's the gospel. So there is a, there is a part where, you know, Jesus is God and he does have a body. He took on flesh, right? And so, you know, there's right. an understanding again, like you said, there's the Trinity going on. There's the shadows of the Trinity in the Old Testament and then God or, you know, sending his son and Jesus is the final prophet. He is the full revelation of the one true triune God of scripture. That's right. So moving on. Not possible. Just like we didn't with Joshua chapter 10. My last example, how much time am I, have I got, Mr. Moderator? That was pretty good. I just took half of my time on that. Like they don't give this job to chimps, you know. So, <laughs> by golly. My last example is uh, an example from hermeneutics. 
uh, my brother Tom, who is loved and, and beloved at the seminary, uh, got a call from a on a talk, talk show that he was on a radio in Chicago. And Dave, this is going to be the uh, contention of our talk, I'm sure. Hermeneutics. Gotcha. Yeah. About he's talking about hermeneutics and objectivity, perspicuity of scripture, and these kind of things. Uh, and, and so the caller was apparently getting a little disturbed by what he thought he was hearing. And so the caller said, "We must get our hermeneutics, that is, our principles of biblical interpretation and understanding. We must get these from the Bible, otherwise we're lost in relativism." Well, of course, no evangelical wants to be lost in relativism. So this sounds, I think, a pious thing to say. It sounds like it's giving deference to the authority, perspicuity, primacy, and all of Scripture. Well, the host of the show, before he gave it to my brother Tom to answer, he thought, okay, this one is a slow one across the, across the plate. So let me see if I can respond to the caller. He said, well, let me ask you. Suppose it's true that we get our principles of interpretation of the Bible from the Bible. Question, how are you going to get them out of your Bible? How are you going to understand what your Bible means in order to get the principles? Well, of course, if he can understand what the Bible means to get his principles, then he didn't need the principles to understand what the Bible means because he was already able to understand it before. So it becomes a self-defeating argument. If he can't get his principles until he gets them from the Bible, then he doesn't have any principles to understand his Bible in the first place, which means he can't get his principles. And the caller was flummoxed and stymied, which is very rare. Actually, I wouldn't the be. History, be. Both flummoxed nope. and stymied at the same time. And he was like, well, where do you get them? And when I ask my students this, not even rhetorically, I, I'm telling them the story I'm telling you. And I ask them, and it's sort of like the old Sunday school joke where they say, okay, children, you know, what's gray and has a bushy tail and hides acorns in the winter? And the children in the Sunday school class goes, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus. Because they figured that has to be the answer because you're in Sunday school. And the answer is not Jesus either. Called the Holy Spirit <laughs> Trinity problem. Sounds like a squirrel to me, but it has to be Jesus. So I'm asking my students this, and I'm saying, where do you think you get the principles of, 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 of uh, hermeneutics? And they all, not all, but many of them, their first resort is, oh, you get it from philosophy. Because they think that's what I'm fishing for, because I'm a philosophy professor. I said, no, you don't get them from philosophy. You get them from reality. They're grounded in the nature of reality. To be sure, you reality is what it is, because reality? God is, is who and what he is. And creation is what it is, because God has made it to be what it is. That's fine. But I'm arguing that there are truths uh, that you can know to be true by the faculties of knowing that God has created us with, even in light of the fall, that allow us to have access to the reality that he is and the reality that he's created. And it makes for these, uh, for example, assumptions that we need to do hermeneutics. So what does this have to do with the, with the age of the earth? All right. So that was a big chunk. And there's a whole lot there. Because he, um, again, like the problem, and we're going to see it is a theological one. So yes. he's a philosopher. He's Aristotelian. We've already talked about this. Aristotelian philosophy begs for the libertarian free will that it cannot prove. And, and, and then you have to reach in Scripture to try to find little arguments here and there, but you're not going to find them, at least the libertarian side of free will. <clears throat> but he's uh, pre presupposing free will in this because he recognizes, he says that there are truths that we can know in and of ourselves but then again he, he recognizes the fall but even because of the fall we can recognize truth and the presuppositionalist says yes you can recognize truth and that's like where we live and move and have our being as apologists we go you recognize something being wrong but you can't make sense of it without the god of scripture yeah so again, we get in their car and show them that their destination is absurd. And then we allow them into our car and we take them and show them the gospel, which is the power to salvation for those who believe. And so who is going to be biblically correct in their approach? And it's the presuppositional or, or like I said, covenantal side. Yeah. And so I would disagree with Dr. Howe in a few different places here. Um, particularly, I think my disagreement root is rooted in the concept 
that we get our hermeneutic from the laws of nature, from the laws of reality. I don't think he's saying the yeah. laws of nature. I think his statement is the laws of reality. Yeah, and uh, he, he does the, say, yeah and, he, yeah, and he does say that, uh, well, yeah, of course, you know, if God created everything, reality is what God created it to be, right? So he does admit that, and he's like, that's fine, but then he separates back out of that. And so there's this, uh, you know, why why we, we, we do not believe in neutrality to where, so now he goes, well, here's a neutral point. We don't believe that so, neutral point exists. So I would say that God has given human beings a regenerate mind, mm-hmm. those who have repented and believed. He has called them by his spirit, given them understanding by his spirit. That's where grace begins. He allows people to understand the reality and the truth of his word, right? He opens their hearts to that. He chooses those by whom he will serve, or excuse me, by whom he will save. And therefore, when he gives regenerate man a new heart, a heart of flesh, and takes out the heart of stone, he gives them an ability to understand what he has said. Now, can that still be? impacted can the regenerate man still be impacted by sin certainly Mm -hmm. um we are still in the process of sanctification that progressive sanctification is is still occurring in our lives therefore we can sometimes get things wrong when we attempt to use and apply rules of hermeneutics right can someone who is unregenerate apply some rules of hermeneutics yes but does god's uh word save them no just because there are some standards by which they can even see through common grace does does not mean that they're going to be saved, right? Or that they're going to get things right. But we trust that God is going to speak to us. He is a God who speaks in all truth, and therefore what is true is his. And so to say that we get the rules of hermeneutics from reality just seems, uh, again, founded upon a really faulty premise. I would rather get my rules from hermeneutics from a regenerate spirit from uh, Jesus when he says in John 14 that the spirit will guide you in all truth. Who is he talking about? He's talking about He's talking about the Holy Spirit guiding people in all truth. We can look back even into the Old Testament and see why was it that people like Moses were able to teach and able to speak what God had said because they had God's Holy Spirit in them. And here's the beautiful thing about that. Uh, We now, all believers, have that same Holy Spirit poured out in them, and therefore they're able to understand God's Word. They don't have to have a a prophet speaking to them in the same way that uh, occurred in the Old Testament to understand God's Word. All believers have those tools. Um, And then you would say, "How how does it appear in Scripture, now that I am regenerate, now that I have been saved, how does it appear in Scripture that Peter looks at and understands Old Testament scripture. How is it? What process does Paul use when he preaches to unpack Old Testament scripture? What is he doing there? And how can I emulate that strategy? And that's where we arrive again at that historical grammatical hermeneutic. Uh, That is essentially what it's based in. And it's very clear when you read, uh, you know, the statement on hermeneutics, the, the 1980 statement on hermeneutics. That's essentially what it's saying to us. And so, um, and I know Dr. Howe agrees with that statement. I'd be shocked mm-hmm. if he didn't. Um, but I think he's now kind of uh, stepping away from that because he's wanting to, again, 
assert that uh, philosophy is the foundation, uh, that natural sense of, sense of reason that everyone has because uh, God gave it to them. Uh, that is the standard by which we understand yeah, Scripture. And that's, and that's the thing, and I think it, it, he goes on, and I mean, Dr. Jason Lyle answers the question, I think Scott Oliphant answers the question in this video, um, but you know, to just reiterate that is, yes, guess what? We have within us the recognition we have within us, you know, the Imago day still, it's just, what are we in? We are in rebellion. So it's an ethical issue. It's not an intelligence issue. You know, the Bible talks about the wicked still being very intelligent and they use their intelligence in rebellion and they build things and they make up things to what? To rebel. And so they're using their intelligence that God gave them. But if you are a sinner, you are a slave to sin. Jesus says it. So, I mean, it comes down to he doesn't believe or he doesn't hold up total depravity like we do. Um, That's right. And and so there's a common grace that because people still recognize the truth um, that is true only if God is true, right? Um, They are not, you know, not everybody is a murderer, but that's only because why do, what do we know from scripture? It's because God is curbing that (laughs) right now. God's right. grace is gone in the uh, coming kingdom whenever he separates the sheep from the goats and they get to exist in a reality where he is present and his wrath is being poured out, but his grace is gone. Yeah. That's so right. it's even worse. And so, yeah, the grace, you know, there's nothing to curb um, murder. And then, so the thing is they're going to try to kill themselves and they can't even find death. Right. So, so right now we're living in under common grace, but there's categories and definitions and distinctions here and there. But the thing is, is we, we've got to get to the point of they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so no matter how much evidence you give them, they're going to come up with a crafty way of going, but I can do this over here because you have allowed me neutrality. You have let me have mm. logic. You have let me have uh, morality. You've let me have this. You've let me have everything in your toolbox, and I can twist it to the conclusion that I want, which is the whole point of Scripture, to tell you, you are a slave to sin, and you need Jesus Christ, and it's only, you know, it's sola fide, <laughs> you know, Scripture alone, uh, Christ alone, or faith alone, uh, grace alone, uh, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Um, that's that's, right. that's pretty much it. And so this is where we're missing the issue. It's a theological issue. I can again, I can give evidence all day, and they're going to twist it just like people did with the scriptures. They're going to twist it to their destruction. So you know, we've been able to handle this conversation because of that. <laughs> you know, of the recognition of what the Bible says about man. So whenever you know, so we do possess these, and then whenever we have the Holy Spirit reside in us and regenerate us, then yeah, we can, we can recognize this is where we were right in our hermeneutic and here's where we're, we're wrong in our hermeneutic, but it's mm. just, that's the reality that God made and that's the way it's going to work out. But you know, so the distinction is when you're talking to somebody with the same starting point and you can actually agree, then you can move on in the evidential and, and all that kind of stuff. But when you're talking to somebody that is a rebeller, doesn't care about Christ, wants to rebel against God, that doesn't have the regenerate heart, then that's the distinction. You've got to, again, get in their car, show them absurdity, get in, bring them into your car, 
and take them to God. And then again, it's not up to you. That's the Holy Spirit, which I mean, Wretched Howe would agree in that. So there's a lot of points of agreement, but they're like, he's inconsistent because he's saying mere yeah. facts, mere facts, mere facts will then get you back to where now we talk about Christianity. And it's like, no, <laughs> they're going to twist everything to try to keep you away from talking about the gospel because they don't want to hear the gospel because it's the smell right. of death. The Bible says they don't want to smell death. Yeah. No, right well, on. All I'm saying right is, on, while I'm very enthusiastic about young earth, uh, in, despite I the think, fact that I'm not a scientist or, or a Bible scholar, so I can't argue, you know, we'd be here all yom if we had to talk about it. I think we're pretty much done with this video um, anyway on, on that. So, um, but I hope that you guys uh, have seen, um, just where we definitely differ. I think we brought that out, uh, pretty well, um, the, between the classicalist and the presuppositionalist, you know, it's, and I, th you know, I think when it comes down to the end of the day, it, it's definitely starting point. Um, yeah. and it's everything that led up to the enlightenment, um, when you got modern and then, or you've got the pre-modern, um, modern and now post-modern. Um, I mean, there is uh, philosophy is not done in a vacuum. Um, there's right. people standing on the backs of giants in that respect, but you know, are you going to agree? Um, like it's, it's one of those things that we're not telling you to burn books. We're not telling you to not read <laughs> books, but it's one of those things to understand their presuppositions. Um, when you look, when you read a biography on Aristotle, what did he believe and where was he wrong with scripture? And so don't adopt any sort of philosophical conclusions that don't adopt scriptural, um, distinctions and definitions and stuff of man. And so from the outset, if you're Aristotelian and you accept his premises of what man is, then you're going to go the wrong way. You know, this is why I'm not, this is why I don't agree with Kant because I believe you can know objective reality because of revelation. That's one thing that Kant um, did not do because he was still stuck on man has to reach up. And yeah. this is, goes into the debate whenever I had Freemasonry and all that kind of stuff. I mean, yes. this, this is a, an all-encompassing um, foundational issue that you can talk into everything. And it's because of when you, whenever you just make it generic philosophy and generic theism and all that stuff, you have allowed a neutrality that the scripture doesn't give you. This is God's reality, and we must proclaim it as God's reality. Adam, I think you hit it right on there, brother. I yeah, so we have uh, came up on our time anyway. I know uh, Dave's got some stuff to do. Again, he is a pastor, so be praying for him uh, during this time, and just pray for your pastors, pray for um, pastors across the nation. I mean, Paul calls us to pray for kings and everything, too. Um, this is just a very confusing time. Again, we are operating out of ignorance. Um, you're seeing the uh, conclusions of of, of of empiricism as the ultimate standard of to of knowledge and you're seeing the devastation that it's happening um in the world uh people out of jobs and all that stuff so you know take this time to pray for leadership and that uh god will be the god of our leaders and that he you know because it says in the scriptures that god turns uh the hearts like streams um so we know right. that god is in control and we can uh we can operate out of rest um, and, and our fear of God, um, knowing that, you know, even though we don't understand it now, um, we will see it eventually, but we know God is working. Um, so, you know, read Psalm 42 or sorry, yeah, 42 and 43. If you need that, tell your soul to praise God. Your mind knows the promises of God, but, uh, you know, tell your soul to praise God. That's if right. you're not feeling, um, you know, if, if your soul is, 
is uh, feeling dejected, like it says. If your soul is feeling discontent, um, and use by the, the knowledge way, of God I, to tell your soul to praise God because you will praise God. That's right. And, and by the way, I wanted to throw this in there. This yeah. um, is just a little extension of that. You and uh, Travis and I need to get on and talk about our paper uh, here before too long. Yeah, we'll get um, that too. So. I know that we had planned on uh, presenting it before we did a program on it, but let's just go ahead and we'll uh, kind of split it up. And the way that we'll present it will almost be a practice for what we'll do at uh, at the uh, at the uh, International Society of Christian Apologetics. Um, yeah, yeah. But, and so yeah. I guess, yeah, and since we're talking about future stuff, uh, guys, uh, just to let you know, there's a guy named Charles Smith. Um, he's also a part of the uh, Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network, and uh, he has written a book called Sharing Jesus with Those Who Think uh, They Have the Truth. And it's something that he just made up and sent out, um, but uh, got a copy, and I'm going to read it. And then so in the future, hopefully we will have him on the podcast as well. So in the near future, that'd be really awesome. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's a lot of stuff to do. Um, the Tag Your It podcast still goes on amidst all this chaos in the world and yeah. uh, we thank and adam, god and praise god think, for him yeah and adam i want to say one other little thing real quick and i hope that it's um hope that it's encouraging um i uh really appreciate you engaging me as i have uh you know gone through this time you know as a pastor uh we visited the one time i said well it's just kind of hard for me to see past the uh COVID-19, I just want you to know this has been a very positive diversion for me uh, to think about other avenues of ministry, and uh, it really has been a, a, a lot of encouragement for me to be able to have these types of discussions with you, uh, number one, because you love the Lord, number two, because you love defending His truth, number three, because you love proclaiming the gospel, number four, because uh, declaring the gospel as a form of discipleship. And so all of these things are really important to me. Uh, and, and I really appreciate the, uh, concept that you have, um, yeah, continued to, uh, push forward with the gospel in this way. And it's been a very positive thing for me. So thank you again. I say a diversion. It's been a way to expand ministry <laughs> and continue to continue to do ministry in a in another medium uh, that yeah. God's provided, and actually, if anything, you know, dealing with the virus and uh, thinking about it has caused me to remind be reminded of you know we've got this amazing outlet, and uh, sometimes I've failed not to be as pastoral in the way that I've approached apologetics, and uh, just being reminded of that, I think some of this has been really good for us, and so I really appreciate your hard work. Thanks for all you do, brother. Oh back at you dude i mean yeah that's one of those things that i keep constantly tell people you know if i didn't have you in my life uh, during this uh, last you know like say three years that we've been doing this you know it's like you've been a major means in mine so um this is how the body works everybody <laughs> so it's, it's awesome we're fortunate man yeah, and yeah. god's good christ so, is building well. his church and we can uh you know we can we can see it if we again start with the presupposition that jesus declared it and and it's it's awesome to see it work out as Jesus has declared it, and we can trust in that. And so, um, so I guess yeah. Until next time, this is the Tag Your It podcast. I am Ray Ray, and I am Dave, and Soli Deo Gloria. Gloria.